0: Welcome to the Female Fight Experience, the podcast where we share stories to inspire female Muay Thai fighters at all levels to jump in the ring. Brought to you by your hosts, Smokin' Joe Coverdale and me, Bridget Tucker. All
1: right. As you can tell here in My Voice First, we have one of the few male guests on the podcast. Uh he is a resident strength and conditioning coach at JS Muay Thai in Melbourne. He's trained pretty much nearly all of the professional female fighters here in <laughs> Melbourne, yeah. as far as we can tell, and a lot of guests that we've had on. We have Ben oh, I'm gonna mess up his name. It. I'm gonna I wanna say Benoffey, but I know that's not it. That's a
0: delicious, <laughs> delicious <laughs> Yeah, treat. I, know, I
1: know I've lost it. Try again. <laughs> Bonafide,
2: Yay! there we go. Nailed it. Sorry, mate. Thank you for that intro. You're up, mate. <laughs> uh, how you doing, Ben? You good? Good, yeah. Everything's going well. That's Just, good. Just uh, trying to tee up phone calls with Thailand at the moment. Thailand. Oh,
1: oh cause you've got athletes over there?
2: Yeah, I've got Joe and Som are over there at the moment with their JS Muay Thai retreat.
1: Ah, oh, of course.
2: And I've got uh, Lisa over there as well. Lisa, Lisa Bradley? Yep. Oh, cool. Oh, sweet. I
1: didn't know you were her coach too. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, it's for the last few months now.
1: Did you tee up when she was over here training and stuff, doing the seminars?
2: No, it was after that. So, it was okay. after her second fight she had in one, I believe we okay. started working together.
1: Yep, She's like, I need to be able to punch harder for sure.
2: Yeah, small gloves.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, I guess let's start off with how you got into strength and conditioning As a coach, what kind of led you to go down that path?
2: Yeah, I started off just as a personal trainer working at a general kind of box gym in North Melbourne Mm -hmm. and then really wanted to get more into the performance side of things. The only thing I really enjoyed was combat sports. As far as any other sport goes, I couldn't care less about it in general. So (laughs) I wanted to go down that path. Wait, wait.
0: You're not a footy fan? You're not like watching the Australian Open at the moment?
2: No. Nah, on a good day, you'll get me to the NFL, but that's about mm. it. Okay. Yeah. i got um, I watched
1: nearly all of the Australian Open. But anyway, let's continue. Sorry.
2: Yeah, I didn't really know it was on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Very good.
2: Yeah. So I um, did that and then I started boxing with Luke Bones out at Marshall Spirit when he was there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then started working there. Uh, and then I started training sprint. Um, ah. she was my first client, which was about six or seven years ago now.
0: Oh, ah, cool. Man, that's awesome. So she's like patient zero almost. Like I went from spring she's, and
2: yeah. that was
0: like your, your entry into Muay Thai. Yeah.
2: Yeah. She's been the test dummy. Huh? Yeah. Very but yeah, I started cool. working with her, but that was just after she fought Brooke, I believe. Brooke Cooper. Ah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I started working with her just after that. Yeah.
1: Awesome. So. You you were a, like I assume a cert three four personal trainer, which is yep, like correct. what like I've got my certs in that just because that's the minimum you need for insurance and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What exactly. further training did you undertake when you decided to kind of get into the combat sports kind of side of things?
2: So from there, I really just went into general strength and conditioning ongoing education. So mm-hmm. I haven't done too much in the tertiary field. But yep. went into um, Australian Strength and Conditioning Association, just did their level zero. Uh, then I've done Joel Jameson's eight weeks out course, which he's a strength and, uh, more conditioning side coach. So he okay. works a lot with heart rate zones. Um, he's got a really good course out for that. Did some uh, coach development work with the guys out at Melbourne Strength Culture. Okay. So yep. uh, Jamie Smith out there, and he introduced me to the uh, model that Bill Hartman uses. Uh, And that's sort of like the expansion compression model regarding rib cage mechanics and how that influences the rest of the skeleton. Mm. Um, Then did some stuff with uh, doing Exos specialist performance course at the moment, Um, some lower body closed chain biomechanics courses, um, and pretty much just anything that interests me that I thought would directly carry over to the fighters.
0: Okay. So you you decided at that stage you really wanted to specialise in in fighters. Was it just like an untapped market or just like the area that you really enjoyed? Sort of what what led you to really specialise in in combat athletes?
2: Part of it was untapped. I wasn't really that business savvy to begin. So that really wasn't in my mind at all. It was more so just I really enjoyed what I was doing. I really enjoyed working with fighters. I really enjoyed combat sports. That was enough for me.
0: Most I people don't that's... like fighters because they're very precious, eh, Joe? So what, why do you like working with fighters so much, ben? Precious
2: and time poor. <laughs> yeah, time poor is for sure. Yeah. I find they're not that precious at all.
1: Thank you, Bridget. Mm. And thank you, Ben.
0: Thanks, Ben, for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, tell Welcome. me, what's it, what's it like working with fighters, generally speaking?
2: Generally speaking, it's great, to be honest. Um, like, there's almost no divas. If you're asking to do something, they're going to do it. Yeah. Um, I think when you've got someone that finishes like a nine to five job, they've done their forty hours a week, and their way of going and having fun is getting punched in the face. They're going to complain a lot less than the general person. Yeah,
0: that's true. <laughs> that's true.
2: Yeah. I guess like,
1: <laughs> would you? And I could be off on this, but from my kind of experience, the hardest part about like strength and conditioning and fighters is more that they don't see the importance of it in the beginning or at least until they have a couple of months down the track then they start seeing the benefits of it and then obviously they can see the importance
2: yeah i think once they've gone up against someone that has that background as well or someone that's in their stable that has it so that i noticed that starting to filter through specifically eight blades i'd say at the moment Mm they have seen how it's worked for joe and some quite well and some of the amateurs are doing it and um they've been a great gym and a great team to work with
1: yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Would you I guess obviously and uh, not not saying that you'd be too biased on it, but you would I would assume you'd think that a fighter should start it as soon as they start fighting. Or would you say that if you're time poor, like let's say you can do five hours worth of training in a week, you're at mm-hmm. the beginning of your career. Me as like I guess the end coach being the Muay Thai coach, I would say you need to spend your five hours a week doing Muay Thai.
2: Yeah. Where, where would you kind 100%. of sit on that? Yeah. 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 hundred percent. I think first and foremost, yeah. I mean, anyone can be strong, but we've all yeah. kind of seen those viral videos of a strong guy getting whooped by someone that knows what they're doing.
1: Very satisfying.
2: Um, yeah. Very satisfying. <laughs> and that's really what it is. Like if your goal is to fight, fight, learn how yeah. to fight. Because a lot of people don't know how to fight. And if you know how to do that, then start looking at filling in those other gaps But Mm. without having those foundations, it's kind of pointless. It is,
1: exactly. And I guess like once you see somebody take that step into professional fighting, then they're obviously going to start allocating more time to their training and then obviously they can allocate the time needed for strength and conditioning.
2: Yeah, and knowing what they need to work on. Mm. And so many people are inactive in general. Even just training Muay Thai or whatever they're training is going to help them get stronger in the first place.
1: Yes, that's true.
2: Yeah, so be honest of where you're at. Maybe you've got a good AFL background or whatever it may be, you can bridge that gap a bit. But outside of that, yeah, just focus on getting good at what you need to.
1: Mm. Yeah. So I guess like while we're on the topic of time spent doing things, mm. what what would you say is like the minimum kind of amount of time you'd like to see your clients train strength their strength and conditioning per week?
2: Uh, purely from the strength side, I'd say around two hours a week. Okay. That's normally enough if you do full yeah. body sessions. Um, you so just you're looking properly. at like two
1: one hour full body sessions. Was that yeah, kind of where you programmed around that. It? Yep.
2: Yeah, as a minimum, yep. I'd say. Um, I mean, you look at the training; most of that's conditioning anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to be sitting around that zone four heart rate. You're going to be working on your fitness. You're going to be working on you know your lactic capacity, your threshold work, whatever it may be. So, you're going to get fit regardless. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then outside of that, it could be things like, you know, getting slightly more road work in, whatever you need to do really. And then once you have those foundations, like we were saying, then look at dialing into the specifics.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That kind of like what cued that question is Anika Wellner asked, what if they're only able to train strength and conditioning once a week, what, what yeah. do you think they should focus on mainly? would it still be like a full body kind of try and tap into everything session?
2: Yeah, it would. And then it would be looking at specific skill sets. So okay. like if you're naturally strong, maybe may focusing on more muscular endurance type work or speed.
0: Okay. Uh, yep. But
2: basically just focus on what you're shit at. <laughs> but, yeah. 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 That know, should be like your, your tagline.
0: Combat strength. We help you focus on what you're shit at.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's it. I'll get some new t-shirts printed. <laughs> 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 no, sorry. Oh, go
0: go to the logic of that though.
2: I mean, for me, with strength and conditioning, when I think about it for fighters, primarily it's uh, more injury mitigation than anything else. The stronger you are, the more robustness you're going to have for your tissue, mm. the more you can get through fight camp with those injuries. Mm. Like, probably no one's going to go in at 100%, but if you can get close and you're in a really good point to actually step into that ring and show what you're able to do to your full potential. Because mm-hmm. um, I guess so, I like...
1: A lot of like layman's kind of thinking is that like strength and conditioning is making your muscles bigger, but you're also strengthening your tendons, ligaments, joints, everything. Yeah.
2: I mean, we just know from most of the studies. Yeah. Bone density. Exactly. Uh, Bone density, ligaments, tendons, like there's different ways to train to make sure that you're getting greater results for tendons rather than like just growing muscle mass.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And they're all important and they're all going to help with performance and, you know, like we're saying, getting into the ring.
1: Mm. yeah cool so i guess like because when i found out that we had you coming on and i was thinking about it in regards to how you would train females rather than males if there's a difference what it would be and i was thinking about when i was doing my cert three four about how we had to as you would have done write up programs for different individuals and stuff like that and bridget will get a laugh out of this when our teacher was telling us okay you need to write a program for a thirty-year-old mum. Blah 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 blah. Remember, with women, tummy, hips, and thighs—that's what you're going to focus on. Limit the upper body; they don't care about that. They don't need that. <laughs> tummy, hips, and thighs is what you're going to be. Yeah, tell to song. And, yeah, and I just think, man, a it's different in Muay Thai because obviously you've got the clinch and all that kind of stuff. But we're moving away yeah. from that as a, as a society, and how. Like, have you adjusted in, in order to training women rather than, than everybody?
2: Honestly, there hasn't been that much of an adjustment, yep. to be honest. I'd like to give some kind of golden answer that I have the secret for it. The secret's just treating people like more or less just as an individual, you know, yeah, like how you're working yeah. a room. If you can connect with that person and find out what cues they need, mm-hmm. um, how they respond to certain behaviours, whether it be positive or negative reinforcement, whatever it may be, whether it be an extreme amount of shit talking during a session or whether it be none.
0: <laughs> if they can dial in. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. How if do you deal can, with Brittany? <laughs> oh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but so I think if no you can get them to that, deliver and yeah. enjoy the process and they yeah. can be intent in what they're doing, you have that's all you really need. Yeah. Yeah. Like,
1: so like in, in regard to like strengths and weaknesses of the body though, would you like, do you have any other focus differences or anything or is it still yeah, just case by case? There's obviously narrower things. shoulders and all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. Narrower shoulders, uh, wider hip pelvis position yeah. that can influence yeah. the knee sometimes. Obviously ACL is always a concern. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, knees were a concern in almost every sport as well. Yeah. So it's not like we're just going to ignore knees for guys also. Yeah. Yeah. No, you'd be right. Good luck with your patella. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So we might spend a little bit more time on it or it might be a little bit more awareness building in the actual warm-up. I Mm. find sometimes a lot of females, particularly if they've got like a wider pelvis position, will tend to load their back a lot more in certain exercises. Mm. Yep. So if we can look at warming up, so we're creating awareness. Hmm?
1: What do you think causes that?
2: Um, I think it's just being really strong through the hips.
1: Okay, yeah.
2: To be honest, more than anything. So they're going to be inclined to use things that are already strong because that movement yeah. pattern and that pathway is going to be there in regards to skill. And you okay. see it with a lot of people when they squat, they're going to drive their ass back. Like it's on mm. every Instagram video you're going to find is someone basically turning into a glorified deadlift.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. okay.
2: Yeah, Yeah. so if you can get someone to actually bend their knees a little bit more and get that control of how the ribcage is sitting over the pelvis, that's going to create exposure in the knee joint to build strength around there anyway.
0: Okay. Even just hearing you talk, then it's such a good advertisement for like the level of detail that you go through and especially one-on-one. So I'm a client of yours through online. I think that's, that's great, yeah. but it really it, I find it so much more impactful every now and again, coming and seeing you in person and having those, cause it's those minor adjustments that can make a big difference, right?
2: Yeah. And just things that are really hard to see on camera, um, even if people are sending technique videos through yeah, um, and seeing habits as well, cause you might get someone that does that and they're feeling out of position on camera and you can't really see how they move the whole way through the session. But maybe there's a golden cue in there that you can find when people are, you know, warming up or going through certain other movement patterns.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And you mentioned Somi me before, um, because I'm such a super fan, I have a picture of someone on my wall doing a teat from about five, five, about five years ago. And yeah. the contrast I know the that, exact one you mean. Yeah, it's a beautiful William Lou shout-out. Thank you for donning my garage wall with beautiful pictures. got one of Joe in there too, actually. He's the only dude on there at the moment. It's a Very nice. private position,
1: big dude energy. <laughs>
0: um, but just seeing the difference between um, Som's like physique in the ring, like, and I loved her posters. Like, I got more, more comments about my muscles on my back than I did about my fight. <laughs> Go and see Ben for more information. But it's almost like you've got these like walking advertisements for you know, seeing how like dominant she was in the clinch. For yeah. then, did you like what you see? Did you like the performance? Go and see Ben,
2: yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't get any better advertising than that um, yeah. definitely thanks to SOM. but I mean part of that what people probably don't see with SOM is that's two years of her being off you know yeah. that's two years of being able to prepare that's two years of not having to wake up and sacrifice for performance over you know progress so yeah
1: and her yeah, shit diligence
2: of ACL physio dietitian strength and conditioning coach like across the board she's done everything that you need to do to return mm. and improve mm. yeah yeah, and I guess so like-
1: because she's not – obviously, if she's recovering from an ACL, she's not running as much, kicking pads as much. She's got extra energy to put into upper body training, mm. so to speak, yeah?
2: Yeah, exactly. And when she yeah. was doing low-level initial rehab, you know, three weeks after, two weeks after the fight, just coming in, we had her doing chin-ups.
1: Yeah, yeah. But yeah.
2: But it was heavy upper body sessions and she hates them. But, yeah, it's <laughs> what it is.
1: Very good. Uh, we've got a question from Got Soul. No name on that one, but what types of strength training can over 40s people do at home? If you want to, over 40s female at home, where should they start?
2: Uh, basic movement pattern work, really. Yeah. You know, obviously, most people seem to have some kind of gym equipment set up in the house, but it depends what yeah. tools you have available to you. Um, If you're looking at just getting into it, lots of floor-based exercises are good, like if you're unconditioned. So, you know, start working from the ground up. We can use a four-by-four matrix in regards to skill acquisition and progression. So that's being, you're going to have more control over your body with more contact and your surface area. And if you have less amount of body that you have to organize in space. Okay. So if you're laying facing down, example, if you imagine a tall push-up position. Yep. And you drive back as if you're doing a squat, trying to sit your heels, uh, heels on you hips on your heels, sorry, and drive your knees to the ground and then back to the top position. That's basically creating a squat pattern. So first things Mm -hmm. first would be learning how to squat properly or do a push-up properly or whatever it may be, one of those larger movement foundations, and then build that into harder exercises, depending on what equipment you've got available. Mm -hmm. And then it would be if you don't have much weight, start to look at higher rep schemes because that's going to need, you're going to need to create um, some kind of progression somewhere. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have much weights available, then you look at time under tension, how many reps you're going for. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just starting slow and building the way
2: up. Yeah. And if you do things properly, you're going to get progress out of them anyway. So even if it looks innocuous, you're probably still going to feel it.
0: Okay. Hmm. I've got another one here from winners take chances. Is it common for fighters to climb up at least one weight division once they begin strength and conditioning? That's a
2: good one. Definitely not. I'd actually say it's more common for them to move down.
0: Interesting. Explain. Yeah.
2: A lot of the time, body composition is going to improve. So yeah. if we, yeah, I mean, with Som, going back to her again, Britt also, um, their body composition improves so much in regards to, they might be walking around the same weight, but they've got more muscle mass and less body fat. Hmm. Yeah. So you're able to store more water, more glycogen in the actual muscle, and you're able to lose that more in a weight cut rather than trying to go and lose all of this body fat that's very hard to get rid of. So what you may find is you're actually able to go down a weight class, have better body composition and better performance.
1: And eat more during your weight cut week and everything
2: and just... Yeah, exactly. Over. Yeah. Exactly. Which someone, if they're working like the combat dietitian or Pete, who you guys have had on, they're mm-hmm. going to ensure that you're able to do that as well.
1: Mm. Yeah. There's a good advertisement for it, if anything, right? Yeah.
2: I think that's like
1: one of the biggest things with fighters is I don't want to get bigger and bulkier and lose my speed and then have to go up a weight division and et cetera. But
2: yeah, I'd be so concerned if you went up a weight division doing strength and conditioning,
1: probably on roads.
2: Something's wrong, (laughs) yeah, yeah, (laughs) unless maybe you start doing it 16 and then you're 25. I don't know, then you can go up a weight division, but outside of that, exactly,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, interesting.
1: Mm. What did you? do you notice a lot of injuries in shoulders because of the uh, the way we tend to like roll our shoulders in all the time and our posture and all that kind of stuff? Are you actively trying to keep the girl's posture in check during training um, or, you know, outside of it? Or do you not notice it?
2: Yeah, to a degree. I think there yeah. is, like people focus a little bit too much on the internal rotation of the shoulder. Okay. Like, I think they try and do too much work in the back to try and compensate that position. Yeah. But if we look at the internal rotation of the shoulder and building strength through that area, if we create more strength in internal rotation of the shoulder due to the striking position, then you've got less chance of getting a negative injury in that area. Okay. Like people need to stop avoiding that area in the gym and start exposing it more because the better internal rotation you're going to have, the more it's going to help with upper body external rotation also. Like, mm-hmm. And it's different amounts of stress. So, if you're punching and you're throwing 500 punches out per class, but none of those are extremely heavy. Yeah. So, then what about working pure strength in that sort of three to five repetition scheme of maximum weight to try and change the strength in that position rather than to work on endurance? Okay. So, you don't th-
1: – yeah, okay. I think that kind of – I was just thinking – uh, Yeah, yeah I-,
2: I know it's hard, man, because
1: obviously, you know, what, like – when – because I did most of my career fighting out of a gym that had strength trainers, crossfitters, all yeah. that kind of stuff in it and they were always ragging on me about my posture. It's bad. You're going to get shoulder injuries, mm. this, that and the other. But like I've had two broken clavicles. My shoulders will never sit back in a good position because they can't. They're shorter than they're meant to be. Yeah, and I've ahead. never had. I've never had shoulder injuries while I've been training or fighting but they always harped onto me about it. So it's interesting for you to say, just get strong there. And I, I don't know, that might be simplifying it too much to what you said, but that's kind of... And
2: that, that's more that or less. Yeah. Yeah, weak, weak things break. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, like that's an old Louis Simmons quote who had Westside barbell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying don't strengthen your back, don't have good posture, all those things are important. Mm. But just make sure you train everything. It's not that hard. Yeah. Don't yeah, have any holes true. in your strength game or in your fight game.
1: Like you said, so hmm. would you say most of your sessions are full body, front, back, bottom, and up, everything?
2: Mm. Yeah, 100%.
1: Yeah, yep. yeah. Because I guess when you, if like to look at it simply, a fighter uses their whole body every time they fight or train anyway. So why would you change it?
2: Just And also training. going back, also going back to prioritizing actual skill work. You know, like once again, mm. get, get better at Muay Thai. If you're only smashing your legs, you're going to go in, you're not doing skip knees on the bag, you're falling over. Like, if we destroy your legs, you're not going to get better at Muay Thai. You're just going to get really sore.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, it's working in, you know, sometimes not everything is optimal. Sometimes what's optimal is what works and allows you to actually perform your sport.
1: Yeah. Mm. Well, because that – and I'm sure, like, a lot of fighters would be like this. My – the thing that I fucking hated the most was having cranky sore legs the next day and i got to throw 100 kicks on the pads – yeah, And it's just kind of like, what benefit am I actually getting out of this if it's affecting my training, you know?
2: Yeah, I think that's how a lot of people actually feel as well. Like, they're always sore. Mm. And it doesn't have to be the case. Like, yeah. there are ways around it. Like, yeah, you're going to get sore sometimes. It is what it is. But you don't have to get yeah. sore every damn day.
1: Mm. Well, I think that's like, and that's like the whole, uh, if you're not sore, you didn't do it properly. Yeah, or no, pain, like, no gain. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Whereas I actually worked with a coach. My friend uh, Lachlan, he's actually a physio now. He, he didn't like DOMS. He, he was like, you don't really like necessarily have to get them in order to increase, increase strength and and etc.
2: No, definitely not. And so it's going good to hear, to hear it from, from another person.
1: Needs.
2: Yeah, yeah like not everything needs to be muscular. You know, yeah. like There's things we can do in terms of iso that are going to be more focused on a little bit more tendon work. But normally that soreness is from people just laying around as well. Like, you're going to build that byproduct from exercising and then if you don't get it moving, then you're going to feel really sore.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, So if you rinse someone during a session...
1: Afterwards, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, if you rinse someone during a session so they don't want to move, they're probably just going to maintain soreness.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, On the because you just mentioned before is you're not doing heaps and heaps of repetitions or something so the program that i've got you've got on me at the moment sorry that you've done for me at the moment there'll be like do five uh, five squats or whatever it is and then a two yeah. minute break in between and yeah. when i first saw that i was like that is a really really long break and i don't know if i can sit still for that long and so sometimes yeah. i vacuum my gym just fyi um whereas like what are you I'm doing vacuuming that. i thought you were supposed to be exercising i'm like i'm resting <laughs>
2: like, but,
0: but how important is that rest?
2: If you want to get stronger, it's really important. Not everything needs to be cardio. Yeah. yeah. So when we look at programming things like that, we look at adhering to some of the energy systems and how they work. So if we're looking at five repetitions, typically you're going to be working for not much longer than 10 seconds per set. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at the phosphocreatine energy system. uh, And that's that kind of one that allows you to hit really hard and move really fast, just not for very long. Yeah. Um, And that will allow you to get stronger by doing that. Um, but that takes, you know, a minimum of two minutes really to recover and then anywhere from up to about eight minutes' time before it's fully recovered. Hmm. So what we're looking at for two minutes, it's minimum to keep the technique there and keep the strength there so we can improve strength but not so long that you guys are just going to get absolutely bored. Yeah,
1: See, that's the thing. That's my problem with when I lift weights. So I end up doing like I'll superset upper and lower. Is that still effective or not?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So one of my favorite ways to do that is let's do like heavy front squats, rest Mm -hmm. one minute, Um, weighted pull-ups, rest one minute. That'll give you about two and a half minutes between each set. Yeah. So that means it's enough time to recharge that energy system, but you can stay moving.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: Or you can superset in with some neck strength exercises that aren't going to take away from the actual heavy lifts. Hmm. Yeah, Cool.
0: Uh, okay, got another question here from Michelle, our guest last week. Actually, what injuries are females more susceptible to, and what areas are we typically stronger in?
2: Uh, probably stronger mentally, to be honest. Um, yeah, they I'm don't. So
0: smug right now.
2: Yeah, that's fair. We all know it. what it is. <laughs> we
0: all know. It. You've told <laughs> you me give that before, birth and... <laughs> to children, man. I... Like...
1: <laughs> I think I was talking to my brother who just had a kid and he was saying, man, if it was left up to men to give birth, then the the population would not be doing very
2: well. We might have a really easy way to do it, though. We might have worked so hard to work around it.
1: Oh, where's your answer for I that? I got none. Yeah. the
2: question been? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm in trouble now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely unique, but I'd say definitely more susceptible to knee injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of strengths, it actually is more like checking the ego. Um, when guys mm. come in, they just want to lift heavy. When girls come in, they seem to want to lift heavy, but also lift really well. So huh. I find that they get quicker development initially, mm-hmm. um, and then that often leads to having less injuries just because their technique dials in a little bit quicker.
0: mm. Focus more on doing it right, that proper technique, as opposed to just, yeah, going heavier and heavier.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's outliers, but from what I've seen, that's what I've noticed the most. Yeah.
1: If athletes had to get one of the two, eight hours sleep or nail their nutrition?
2: Yeah. What would you prefer? Prefer they just did both and acted like an adult. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> wait a minute
1: I, I, you, get, you get eight hours sleep every single night
2: not a chance no exactly I've, got, I've got a five month old that's not oh. happening <laughs> um, no so I'd go yeah nailing your nutrition you can skate by on less sleep but at the end of the day the better support system you have in regards to nailing like your micronutrients your hydration mm. things like that that's going to assist you
1: you can also catch a nap in the afternoon sometimes as well which might help you keep up
2: yeah, definitely. Yeah, if things like that are available to you do it. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, as long as your sleep isn't really shocking, like you know, two and a half hours because you're mm. playing Call oh, of Duty in your horrendous. bedroom kind of thing. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah Joe. Wait, right.
2: I can tell by the headset. I got that vibe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do play Call of Duty, but not until early hours of the morning.
0: Not anymore. That now we've got no COVID. Now there's no more Call of Duty. That was shocking. There. <laughs>
1: That that was not good for me. (laughs) Moving on. What do you think seems to be the one thing missing from a fighter's strength and conditioning program?
2: Not from yours,
1: though. Yeah,
2: Yeah, no, not from mine. I don't know. It's just different things, really. I'd say most people just don't know how to try and plyometrics or speed properly.
1: Can you explain both of those? Yes, great.
2: Yeah. So if you look at plyometrics, there's different levels of plyometrics that we can do. So we've got low level extensive plyometrics and that's sort of like, we're looking at around 80 to 120 repetitions a week on that in terms of mm-hmm. dosage. Um, and that's sort of like learning how to make contact with your midfoot, making sure that you have that sort of reactive ability through the tendon. So it's able to act more like a spring. So Progress absorb and, and produce force rather than taxing on a muscle. Mm-hmm. Um And then we've got sort of more your intensive plyometrics, and that would be things that would be in a lower rep scheme um, that would be more powerful and sort of larger movements. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: A lot of people seem to be doing those things for conditioning. Um, And thankfully, this is sort of starting to turn the tide a little bit in a lot of strength and conditioning and also just general knowledge um, is that those things are high-intensity exercises, sort of. Um, So if you're using something that's a high-intensity exercise, and you do a lot of it, it's no longer high-intensity exercise. It's like doing a major lift with a deadlift and you're just going for am reps and just getting as many reps out as you can for like 30 reps. It's no longer a strength movement. Now you're looking at muscular endurance. Okay. So the positives that people think they're getting from some plyometrics aren't necessarily the case.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And then the next thing would be speed. So like in terms of sprints, there's a couple of ways you can look at sprints. One would be if... um, there's a sprint protocol out there now that I absolutely hate. It's like 400-meter sprints 10 times. And you end up sprinting like 4 kilometers. Mm. No one can sprint 4 kilometers. So at the end of the day, you're just getting tired. Yeah. It okay. could be good for increasing your VO2 max, but it's not going to be great for getting faster. Okay. What hmm. you want to look at with your sprints is learning how to create that angle of being slightly lower to the ground before you get taller in your posture and initially starting to sprint 10 to 20 meters. And okay. treating them like a max effort lift because that's really what it is. You're trying to get really fast, and going back to using that phosphocreatine energy system without getting into another energy system that's going to allow you to keep going but keep going slower.
1: Yeah, so it's like it's not just pushing through it when you're tired. It's about actually being fast through the entire exercise.
2: Yeah, it's we want to try and build attributes in the gym that you're mm-hmm. then able to translate into your performance. We don't have to replicate your performance in the gym because otherwise it's not training. Okay. Our goal is to build attributes physically that you will then be able to transfer into your sport.
0: Mm. Yeah, you've got that real focus on performance in your training. Like I know when I first came to see you, um, Joe was saying that he was going to kick me out of the gym if I didn't learn to cross um, properly, turn my foot on my cross. He's <laughs> yeah, like, that's do If you don't sort this out, you can't come back. There was, n- <laughs>
2: there was never a threat of that. You're making shit I'm up. That,
0: that was a joke. You're but it was very out. terrible, and he was like, I don't know how else to explain this to you. But I think t- it must be frustrating, though, as a coach. Like You're like, I've explained this. I don't know how many ways. Maybe you just need to get someone else to t- try it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that was the mandate. Like I need to be able to turn my cross on my – sorry, turn my foot on my cross. And the yep. stuff it's that you gave me to foot. do, yeah, no, it's, it's like so, so simple. It's literally just
1: turning your foot on the floor.
0: But it's like the exercises that you've now got me doing – uh, you can see
1: you are helping exactly what you. it's
0: trying to do. No, <laughs> <cool>. I'm already <laughs>
1: bald, though. It's already happened.
0: <laughs> 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 My point being, it's like it's very much focused around performance. So is that is that what's your method in training combat athletes around that? Are they are they coming to you with specific areas that like in their performance that they're trying to shift, and then you're building around that, or how does that work?
2: Some people are. Um, I think generally when people come in, they just, just want to get stronger. That seems yeah. to be the yeah. main thing. Okay. Um and then it's sort of breaking down what that actually means to them in regards to strength. Some people might not mean strength, some people might mean being faster, some people might which will be more power as an example.
0: Yeah.
2: Um some people might mean being stronger in the third or fifth round. So then we're Mm. looking at more kind of working certain levels of conditioning. Um some people might mean getting stronger in regards to making better contact with the ground with their feet like what we were just talking about with yourself, Bridget. So mm-hmm. a lot of people will have a tendency to roll outwards on their foot and not get really good capture through the ball, the foot, and the big toe to create pronation. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have that, then you've got to compensate. And if you compensate, you'll start to create like weird shapes with your body and you won't activate your hips properly in order to create stability. Yeah. Actually, that's probably one of the biggest things I notice with female fighters more than anything is how they're making contact with the ground with their feet.
0: Hmm.
1: They do it well, or they don't do it
2: well. Often, pretty poorly.
0: Mm. Yeah. Why yeah.
2: do you think that is? Um, probably multitude of things. One, I would say, shoes. Yeah. Um, they're pretty shit house. <laughs> um,
1: we talk because, like, are we talking when you say that high heels, or that kind of fashion, yeah. kind of shit, yeah.
2: Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Even if you're not wearing high heels, if you're wearing sneakers or, like, street shoes, some of them are absolute trash. Mm. Um, And then if we look at a lot of people that fight, I think, don't have much of an athletic background. Like, you can be a really Mm. good fighter without being a really good athlete, which is why I think one of the reasons I enjoy being in the space so much. Yeah. Mm. So. Their body isn't naturally going to adapt to things as quickly as it may happen to someone that's in, you know, the AFL or the NFL as an example.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: Um, so that would be another thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then some people just have really high arches or flat feet and that's something you need to look at.
0: Yeah. Mm. Related question. Mm. Spring wants to know how you dealt with her very terrible athleticism <laughs> with grace and somehow got her better.
2: Uh, <laughs> you'd be hard not to get better, Spring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I, I, That was my first exposure. I'm like, geez, everyone moves like this? This is terrifying. <laughs>
1: terrifying. <laughs> I, well, I think for yeah. me anyway, you hit the nail on the head in saying that a lot of the people that come into martial arts and in doing so fighting – don't come from athletic backgrounds. Like You, you get your people like Britt who have done years of gymnastics and I'm sure she probably has a pretty good like connection with her body and all that kind of stuff and how to move. And then like yep. you just alluded to with spring, people that haven't really done too much at all in regards to movement and hmm. coordination.
2: Yeah, like spring's done a heap of movement, but it was primarily Aikido. Um, oh, so, Spring's okay. relatively highly so ranked in Ikea. she's always Akira.
1: a martial artist, yeah.
2: She's always been a martial artist. She's, uh, so, yep. she wouldn't... She's not what I call like a hybrid athlete. She has an exposure to sort of like field sports and ball sports and yes. things like that.
1: yeah, yeah.
2: And you see her on pads and it's like, wow. And then yeah. you see her in the gym and it's like, how?
1: Yeah, and okay.
2: it's like the two don't marry. Um, yep. Yeah, and I think someone like Britt, as an example, she's going to be able to find her way through something athletically because mm. she's played soccer she's played gymnastics and now she's fighting as well yeah um joe is probably similar yeah Mm -hmm. used to be track in school i believe so like in regards to running and cardio she's quite good yeah Yeah. and she's not quite naturally strong yeah
1: yeah and i guess a lot of those programs in high schools and stuff like that have a strength and conditioning element to them as Mm -hmm.
2: well yeah yeah uh yeah particularly more so you guys know jazz from dominance Yes. Yeah, amateur. Moy Vic at the moment. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she used to do a lot of, when she was at school in the UAE, like they used to have Olympic lifting backgrounds. They used to have like I a full not. sports program. So her exposure yep. is far and away greater than almost anyone else I've met. Huh. Yeah. Um, and it's got that ability where she's really strong and really comfortable in a weight room. Um, yeah, and okay. I find not many other people have that. So it's interesting to see. Hmm. culturally how other people have developed
0: yeah yeah interesting uh helen styles what's your most uh here we go question from helen sorry what's your most notable achievement with a client
1: Uh, here we go he straight away expected the worst then
2: yeah i did coming (laughs) from helen (laughs) we're getting to all about the nickname freestyles by the way
1: Oh, yeah. oh, you like it? Yeah, we'll make that.
2: Yeah, step. I've been we'll calling her that as well, so I'm trying to get it yes. going. Um, <laughs> this is good. Very yeah. Good. Uh, probably SOM getting back in the ring after the ACL. Yeah, yeah
0: that'd be huge. pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah, I'd say that'd have to be it. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, that'd have to be. That'd definitely up there. Uh, or maybe Brit as well. Like, oh, yeah. I started working with her after she had shoulder surgery. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it was during COVID actually. So we started on Zoom sessions.
0: Hmm.
1: Do you, would you say as a coach you find that kind of post-injury rehab back into sports the most satisfying part of your job?
2: Yeah, it's definitely up there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's definitely up there. Um, seeing someone, like obviously seeing someone put in all their hard work and then step in the ring and perform is pretty rewarding into itself Mm -hmm. and also gives me huge anxiety. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, seeing someone like that return from injury is a big one. Yeah.
1: Okay, another one from the freestyler. Who has the best facials during isometric holds?
2: Um, it's a tie between spring and Helen, but Helen's <laughs> definitely working her way up the ladder. All right. Can you do us a yep. favor?
1: Next time they're doing them, take us a photo and post it to There it was its, actually uh... one I put
2: up last week.
1: All right. Well, make sure you tag the female fight experience in it so we can share it across all platforms.
2: Next Pretty time. sure Helen's in in about four hours, so I'll make sure I do that for you. <laughs> yeah,
1: <that's awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Oh, I love that. Very good. I feel like we need to address the caterpillar in the room so that we, so that everybody will be happy. <laughs> yes. We got quite a few questions about your mustache. Said, <laughs> that's why I said caterpillar, not That was friend, very
0: good. That no, was well done. That was yeah. very good, Joe. Yeah, smooth as, eh?
2: oh. Yeah, I am now really disappointed I shaved that off. Did you shave it off? (laughs) Yeah, I only had that for a couple of months. Uh, It was when I was on leave when my daughter was born. Um, Okay. And it was unintentional. I just couldn't bother shaving. And I'm like, I'm going to shave a mustache. And I did. Um, And then I sort of had it for about eight weeks and it was gone.
0: Yeah. Well, it's really stuck. It's really um, part of your brand now, I'm afraid.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Bring it back. (laughs) Most are the way to go, man. (laughs) Yeah, definitely improve performance.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a secret weapon. <laughs>
2: yeah, it gets you stronger.
0: <laughs>
2: Is that Ned Flanders look?
0: Oh, man. <laughs> okay, um, in doing prep for this podcast, uh, one of your trainers shared with me that you program around everyone's period cycle. And when I first read that, yeah. I wanted to make a joke out of it because I'm a child. And then I realized it's actually just health data, right? Like it's health data yeah. that once you know that health data, you can be more effective at your job helping them – Get better. Um, It could be a bit of a taboo subject. Like, how do you feel about that? it just always been, like, health data to you and you're not a giant child like I am?
2: Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Um, Did you –
1: I'm just curious on this. Did you grow up – did you have sisters?
2: No, only child, actually.
1: Only child? Okay. Yeah.
2: Because –
1: uh, actually, no, my sister never spoke about. It. But my, I, I grew up with one of those mums that was like, if you can imagine, uh, is there anyone seen Meet the Fockers? Yes. You know the oh. hippie mum on that. Yes. That's like the blah yes. blah blah. That's you've met my mum.
0: Your mum exceeded all expectations when I met her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's, she's very like she would
1: album. she would not like say she would not cover up the fact that if that's the reason why she's upset or whatever. And like, so I grew up very like okay talking about it which has in turn made me okay talking about it to my clients and stuff like that. I was just curious yeah. if that's where you've kind of felt the need to address it so easily. Yeah, not really. I just think and I you. Are you... you asking them? Have they got it or are they telling you or where are you getting all this data from?
2: <laughs> you just tell. How can you tell? Um, you can just tell.
1: <laughs> no. I know we're making. I know we're laughing about it, but like do you see no. drop-offs and then you assume or?
2: Yeah, a lot of times the week before you'd see the drop-off. Okay. Um, and so they just come in, they would be really lethargic, which sometimes I just put it down to being in camp, depending on who it was and where they were. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, no, nah, there's definitely something else. And then it's sort of go-to questions like, you know, how did you sleep? How much water have you had? Where are you at? Um, what did you do last night? Have you had enough carbohydrates? You know, go through the whole spectrum of things. And most people will just give it up with free information. And then yeah, you yeah. start to just, you know, put two and two together. And you're like, all oh, right, well, it's definitely a pattern here. And at some point, we need to look at regulating RPE mm. on your lifts. So, your rate of perceived effort on your lifts. Um, if we're going for like a f- five repetitions at a really heavy weight, maybe we do the weight that you would do six to eight repetitions at and focus on moving the barbell a little bit faster. But okay. so that you feel more comfortable in the position or, yeah, whatever it may be.
1: Instead of just pushing through it.
2: Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, which you can do sometimes, but also sometimes it can be demoralizing. Because you're gonna, they're gonna walk in feeling like shit. They're gonna leave feeling like shit.
1: So you'd say it's more of like a psychological benefit to adjusting.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah, I think part of the SNC is. I think a lot of people yeah. think of that sort of like commando yelling at people, strength and conditioning style. And I find that most of the head skill coaches are going to take that role without any hassle. Yeah. Um, And they're going to get that in the fighters. Obviously, they're pushing them. They want them to be in that position, whether they're sparring, hard training partners, whether they're pushing them hard on pads, whatever it may be.
1: Yeah. I
2: don't feel like they need that in this environment. A lot of people are here because they enjoy it and they're here because they want to get stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, And they don't need, like, all stick, no carrot. Like, they don't need to be yelled at all the time.
1: Well, that's it. Like, if they go from, you know, their pad session... Getting yelled yep. at, telling to go harder, telling to go faster. And then they've got you screaming down their face, telling them to go harder, telling them to go faster. Where's the joy?
2: Yeah, exactly. And all yeah. of a sudden, something they started off enjoyment without even the intention of fighting potentially. Mm. Now, all of a sudden, it becomes a chore. And then most of these people are doing 50 hours a week with master's degrees as well.
1: Like, yeah, that's true.
2: Yeah. They're already doing more than the average person, let alone being yelled at twice as much. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, it's a really good insight.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: Is there a different because you're based out at JS Muay Thai and also yeah. etc in Geelong, right? Are they are yeah, they different? What are the what are the two gyms like in terms of the clientele that you've got? Because you, you, you've got a real um, you really focus on female fighters, but I imagine you've got other clients. Like, do you train men also?
2: Yeah, I do. Um, so, like, I helped uh, Ben Hands out of etc with his last fight, Daniel Stroud when he was at Bones, um, uh, Isaac on his last couple of fights as well. Um, and there's definitely others in there also but they're like the three primarily from geelong that i've worked with the demographic at the gym down in geelong is quite different um it doesn't have it had sort of like a churn of coaches for a little bit um regards to finding someone that fits the mold so from that and then rebuilding that position of people getting back into the gym in terms of muay thai is really good um there's more strength and conditioning coaches down in Geelong that I work with directly, whereas JS is a little bit smaller. So, I'll sort of like have this space and make it a little bit more of my own. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, they're different, but they're both really community orientated, I think. Like there's yeah. a really good community of people down in Geelong that I work with and a really good community up here also. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, awesome.
1: As we wrap it up, if you can just give us one bit of advice for any amateur or professional fighter... That's looking to get into some strength and conditioning, or feel like they need it. What would you say?
2: Pretty loaded question. Uh, be honest. Work with work with your weaknesses to begin. Yeah, 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 and just like don't even worry about the weight too much. Just mm. go in and focus on getting better. Um, probably the same thing they went through when they learned how to fight. When you start yeah. trying to muscle out a punch, and it ends up being really terrible. Yeah strength is the same it's just a skill you need to build the skill and then the strength will come through that
1: Mm. awesome
0: Mm. amazing all right so just as we wrap up plugs for you ben so we can find you and combat strength at js muay thai uh or at etc geelong you do excellent online programming i love the videos as well that's real dummies guide for like if it was just without the videos, I'd be like, what the fuck is this exercise? So they've all got little videos to show you what to do. And I like exactly how you as I well, you like up, yeah. perfectly timed nudges. Like, Bridget, you've not done anything in a week. What the fuck are you up to? Like, it, quite. <laughs> <laughs> I really get the vibes of in-person coaching, but just via um, message, so that's great. Um, I mean, you've you you yourself in pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> I do. Should you turn
1: um, up late to your sessions as well? <laughs> I
0: was three minutes late. Come on, man. <laughs> um, thank no you, way, Ben. Actually. Thank you. Thank Thank you so much for coming on. And um, thank you everyone for all your questions. Um, Hopefully you'll like this sort of new format that we're going to try for our non-fighter guests. Um, Ben, thanks for coming on. Thanks, mate.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much for joining us on the Female Fight Experience. If you like what you heard and want more, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you could rate and review us while you're there as well, we'd really appreciate that. It helps this podcast get into more ears and hopefully ultimately gets you some more fighting opponents. You can find us on Instagram at female fight experience or on email at female fight at gmail.com. We love hearing your feedback and any suggestions you have for future interview guests, make sure you send those our way as well. Thank you and see you next week for more female fight experience.